Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I invite you to join me as we explore what it looks like to choose joy in the messy middle while embracing the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to find joy in your every day. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 283 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I'm really excited to be joined by Erica Corday of Pause on the Play podcast. Erica is a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach, and and she owns her own salon, which is called Silver Immersion, along with having an amazing program all about doing anti-racism work with the lens of showing up in imperfect allyship. I had the absolute pleasure of meeting Erica at She Podcasts Live in 2019, and that was held in Atlanta, Georgia, where she was one of the people giving a talk about anti-racism work and showing up as an imperfect ally. And this really fundamentally changed the way that I saw how I could approach anti-racism work and dismantling racism in my own life and in the world around me. And I cannot wait to share this really fun and delightful and eye-opening conversation with you. Before we get to the show, I want to give you all a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for showing up this week and always. If you're new to the show, Jumpstart Your Joy started in 2015, and there's so much that you, you could look back in the archives, you know, 282 past episodes, where we really dig into the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to find more joy in your life. And this this season's been all about finding joy in the messy middle, which, you know, we're very much in the middle of so much messiness right now with pandemic and racial inequities and just so much going on right now that it's really a time to look at how can we find joy even in the midst of all of these things that are going on. Uh, So if you want to find out more, you can head over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. There will be episode notes for this for this episode. And they're at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 283. And there's that's the place you can find all the links for everything that Eric is doing and uh, be sure and connect with her there. While you're on the website, you can also sign up for my newsletter, which comes out whenever there's an episode. And you could also purchase my brand new book, which came out in February of this year, all about finding joy in the messy middle. So let's talk about this episode just a little bit. It's a Really a delight to have Erica come on, and I have to say that she did fundamentally change how I approached anti-racism work. It was really amazing to hear her talk about imperfect allyship. So uh, just for context, I am a white woman. I live in the United States. I, I grew up in a middle, upper middle class background. And so I think as we've seen everything unfold around us over the last many years, it becomes this place of, as a white person, I am outraged by the things that are going on for black people and people of color in this country. And I want to stand up and do things. And at the same time, I know that there are many of us who feel like we have to do these things, air quotes, perfectly, or f- somehow, some way we're going to be judged and it's not going to work well. And what I love about the idea of imperfect allyship, look, we, we do all need to take action. It's not okay to sit by and let these things happen and, and not take some steps. As long as you're moving towards equality and equal rights for people, that's the important thing. The important thing is not to reach perfection. And you'll also hear in this conversation, we go into a, a space where I ask kind of an awkward question, admittedly, about 
is there room for American exceptionalism and anti-racism work? And I love her answer so much. I debated, should I pull this question out? It's kind of awkward. But then I'm like, no, this is an example of imperfect allyship. I want to show up. I want to do the work. It is my intention to make the right steps. And I'm going to try and correct myself if I step in a space that isn't correct. I want to know about it. I want to do the right thing. And my actions will align once I know how to do better. So I think you're really going to love Erica. She's such an amazing, delightful, humorous person. And she's definitely a multi-passionate. She has so many ideas going on. So I just really can't wait to bring her on the show. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Erica Corday. Thank you so much for having me, Paula. It is really such a treat. We met at She Podcast Live, which was in Atlanta in 2019. So it's been a little bit. And I am really just honored to have you on to talk about joy and the crossroads of diversity, equity, inclusion, and to share your story too, because it's a really inspiring story of entrepreneurship in addition to the things that you do. So the first question that I like to ask everyone is, would you tell us what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? And you know, what's funny. I was reading that question mm-hmm. and I had to challenge myself because my first thought was, I don't know what that is. Because I, I experienced some things that I'm like, I don't know. Did I have that? Did I block it out? I don't know. And then I stopped and I, I thought and I said, you know what? When I was a kid, I had two things that are still very prominent for me. One is reading. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, I could easily read a 300 plus page book in a night. Like <laughs> books, like I loved reading. Like I really did. And the other was writing poetry. Hmm. It's yeah. something that I did and I, I loved it. I had a composition notebook and I covered it in this pink Mickey Mouse wrapping paper because I wanted it to look different. And I'm like, not buying another book, I have a book. And writing, especially, you know, writing feelings and communicating in that particular medium is something that I still absolutely love. And I love writing it and I love being able to participate in hearing others do it as Mm -hmm. well. So it's just such a beautiful mode of communication. Yeah. Poetry really is special. And there's something so amazing about being able to make language concise enough to like capture just a second in three words. That's, that's the juicy part of it. I know that you started as a stylist, I believe. Is that right? Correct. I am still a stylist to this day. I've been a hairstylist now for over 20 years. And I like putting my hands in people's hair. And I have a small group of people that I still do that for. So amazing. And you you still have your company, Silver Immersion? Yes, I do. Yeah. Can you share your story of like how you became a stylist and then how you wanted to start your own business? Because I think from the entrepreneurial side, there's a lot of people that are really inspired by people's journeys. Absolutely. So I, even as a kid, like doing hair was something that I always liked and I enjoyed it. And I wanted to take cosmetology in high school because I went to a Votech high school and my mother was like, no, you're going to take this international baccalaureate program. And I'm like, I don't care about this international baccalaureate program. I don't want to do this. So yeah. I took it while I was still at that high school because I went to a total of three high schools as we moved. And then I graduated high school and went to cosmetology school anyway. And it was it was pricey. And so I ended up doing an apprenticeship. So the beauty of that was that I actually learned how to be in it. I learned a lot of the business sides of it. I mean, I learned what to do and I learned a lot of what not to do. 
And so over the years, I have worked in salons. I have been a an assistant manager. I've been a manager. I've been an instructor at a uh, Paul Mitchell cosmetology school. I am a senior cosmetologist, so I can, I've had apprentices, so I can actually teach people mm-hmm. to be able to go take their state boards to be a licensed cosmetologist. And when I really thought about what I was doing, and by this time, I was doing weddings as well. And so we go on site and get people beautified for their big days. And I realized <laughs> that I had such necessary and transformational conversations on a daily basis. That was just how I operated. And so mm-hmm. talking with people about what they wanted, what they needed, how they felt, how they would present themselves, whether or not others would be able to actually receive how they presented and that not change how they were being perceived in uh, professional spaces. Same when it came to like marriage equality, can I be who I am and be in love and actually have this show up? And all of these things were commonplace for me. And so when I finally decided that the spa that I was working in at this point, and this was back in 2008 when I finally decided it, I was like, I'm not getting the support I need, which means I can't give my clients the support I need. I'm going to do this differently. So in 2009, I officially left and became a solopreneur and had not officially worked for anyone else in a full employee capacity since. So I have had uh, my salon Silver Immersion since then. And when I began to just realize more and more of what was just a part of how I operated, and then I learned about coaching, I was like, oh, didn't know this was a a thing. It's a whole industry. And I learned more about it. Had a coach, you know, in toward the beginning of before I'd even taken my course, and I was like, I I don't think I want to do this. And I finally got over my fear, and I did it. And I took my eighteen month. <laughs> felt like it took forever to go through my course, and then I went and got ICF certified. And as I was deciding what I wanted to really focus in on, paying attention to what I was doing and how I did it. And just how I moved through life, it was very apparent that DEI was the lens through which I was doing everything. It wasn't just, mm-hmm. oh, let's just do this one thing. Like this was how I showed up. This was how I looked at everything. And so yeah. being able to really go into that completely shifted everything because it then got me to this place of like, wait, I, I want to be a public speaker, which I didn't know. And then yeah. I had literally was like, I, I kind of claimed it and... Then it was like, oh, it's happening. And then it was going along great. And it's still gone along great since. But then Rona showed up and made me right. not be able to be in person anymore. But I still do it online. So she didn't completely take it away from me. But she tried. Yeah, I love that so much that because I feel like so many of us, I don't know if it's just coaches because I'm also a certified coach. But we know that there's that piece that we love. But it's almost too scary to get too close to it for a while. And so we keep like pulling back and we're like, oh, no, no, it couldn't be that. Right. Right. Yeah. That's not it. And I also love how you can be vulnerable with a stylist in a way that you cannot be with other people in your life. So you probably already had some of that skill set building with the relationships you were building with clients. Oh, yeah. Because people come in and I've had some conversations where I was like, wait, wait, I don't know that I want to know this, but but I'm here now. So this is where we're going. And I always kind of joke that I feel like you're close enough that they feel like they trust you. And I mean, I'm literally, I'm 
physically touching you to do your hair. And so there's literally the proximity piece and you're seeing me on a regular basis, whether it's that you see me when you're getting it cut, you're getting it styled regularly, you're just getting your highlights, but there's this familiarity that's there. And yet I'm far enough away that you don't have that feeling of like, oh, she's gonna tell my partner when she sees him, because I said this, or just the fact that I'm far enough away that I'm more objective. I'm not so in it. And so being able to have that proximity yet that distance that somehow translates to this beautiful, expansive intimacy, like Mm -hmm. it's an amazing thing. And I have clients that I've had 12, 13 years and up. I mean, I have, I'm like, wait a minute, you, your kids just graduated college. Oh my, oh, what just happened? And so like, I've watched people get married, have kids. I've watched people have more kids. I've watched people get divorced. I've watched so much evolution happen Mm -hmm. and to constantly be a constant part of their lives and to be a piece of that support system through those, you know, losing jobs, losing parents, you know, all of these pieces It's, it is a very innate thing for me to support people in that way. And so that empathic part of me that does want to almost mama bear you like, it's okay, baby, what's wrong? You know, (laughs) it's, it is, it's just how I am and being able to figure out what does that look like to do that. And at the same time to step back enough to allow you to know that you do know what you need to know and you just need the space held to get there. That's a yeah. beautiful thing. Yeah. Mm, that is, oh, that's so good. Because I can see how you do that. I mean, feedback, I mean, just wise, even like on stage, you have that presence of it's okay. We're in a safe space. I can see that you already know this and I trust that you can do this. And so your presentation on imperfect allyship, oh, like I'm getting goosebumps. Like, It was so good because I think even kind of to the point we're talking about, like we all know that there's so many things about this world and that as a white person, I see all the injustice and I see that there's inequality and I see that it's not okay. And I admittedly feel stuck in some ways because I don't know which place or at least didn't as much, which place to turn because it didn't necessarily feel I know I want to do something. I don't know what the thing is to do. And I feel maybe a little bit scared of what the step would be because it, it could be wrong. And I, I think mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to add a little bit because I feel like sadly cancel culture has made it even a little more scary to try and do the right thing because we worry, white people worry that now I'm going to be seen as this when that wasn't my intention. And I, I don't know. I'm sure I've just, uh, I've opened Pandora's box here on the whole thing, but I love that you have, introduced imperfect allyship as a way to step into this space well and the funny thing is when you mention cancel culture i I, there are times that i think cancel culture has a lot of layers so one Mm -hmm. i don't think that any one action fully defines a person unless you, you are just a trash human on the inside and it does define you maybe it does i don't know there are some people that you know i have to believe you when you tell me and show me who and what you are. However, I do think that there are times to where that impulse to cancel, again, is defining somebody on one thing. And it's like you being judge, jury, and executioner to where you're not allowing people the space to have redemption. You're not allowing the space to grow. Mm -hmm. And yet the threat of that 
is enough to give some people an excuse to be inactive. And so somehow this entire thing that was created to be the big scary, don't play dumb games, get dumb prizes thing has essentially become the entire reason why you just put your hands up and do absolutely nothing. Right. Yes. It's bringing me to, I, I, this is a random one, but I, I saw that Rowan Atkinson, who, is that right? Mr. Bean. Mis- yeah, he on Twitter <laughs> the other day said something about cancel culture is one of the worst things for all of us because it's pushing us back creatively. I mean, his angle is kind of that creative space, right? Um, which is so funny for this silent slapstick guy, kind of like he's saying he's feeling constricted. You know, it's gotten somewhere when Mr. Bean is speaking. When you speaking say that, up. all I can see is Mr. Bean stuck in like a plexiglass box and he can't say anything. Oh, God. Right. Oh, God. And he's saying like we can't go down this road because right. it'll get to the point where we all feel like you're saying like we are so stuck and frozen right? because we don't know. There doesn't feel like a safe space to move. So mm-hmm. I, I that does apply to stepping into an anti-racist role we have to feel confident enough and safe enough to know, no, this is important and I got to speak up about it because, yeah, I don't want to be Mr. Bean in a plexiglass box about this topic. No. And this is where, okay, so I have, I remember when I first started, one of my big things and still is, is that I don't want to be a, what I call a diversity dominatrix. The person that's like, Mm, I'm going to put my leather boot on your neck and tell you you're a dirty racist and whip you. And somehow there's this masochistic need to be punished. And I don't want to go there. You can do things that I don't agree with, that I think are wrong, that I vehemently am against. However, I don't need to make you feel bad for it. If you're working with me or you're seeing these things and you're taking in this content, you're going to do a fine job doing that for yourself. I'm not here to do that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like now that, now that does not mean, again, play dumb games, get dumb prizes. Like there is that place of like, if you do something that is offensive, harmful, that needs to be addressed. That does not mean because you did, you know, you used the wrong pronoun here and you addressed it, that now you're going to be canceled. That's not what that means. It means when you specifically aim to just not care. And yeah. you just have zero filter, zero consideration. That's where I'm just like, um, no. And so when I think about imperfect allyship, for me, I don't think that I need to give people a reason to feel safe in the sense of like living in a white body, you are safer than what I am. So I will acknowledge that, which is why I don't do it for that reason. But I do it because if there is not a reason for you to feel as though you can and should do this, then you won't. You'll stay in the safe space. And so most of us are very aware that if something seems as though it's going to cause us harm, we won't choose to do it. And unfortunately, allyship and anti-racism work is no different. And so reminding people that everything that we do in life comes from a place of you having to learn do better, rinse and repeat. For me, it's really just about that reminder. This is no different than anything else that you do. You don't know, you get information, you try it out, you screw it up, you make amends, you learn how to do it differently. 
you go and you try it again. And so there needs to be this place of understanding that perfection is not what's expected of you. What's expected of you is to be in action. And so if you are willing to do something and you keep moving, you're good because the problem isn't when you mess up. The problem is when you mess up and then you do nothing or you double down or you think that you're correct. That type of action is where it's like, wait, wait, no, not that. That part's not going to work out. Yeah. Well, and I I love when I talk about joy, I talk about inspiration, intention, and action. And it is the action piece of it because I think – you know, I think though those three steps play through when we're looking at how do we, um, I don't know if embrace is the right word, but how do we walk into anti-racism work? I'm inspired to do it. I intend to do it. But until I am doing it, um, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because I, I think that's a dangerous space as well. But it's not furthering the inspiration or intention unless you're taking the action. And I think that's that's the scarier part, but that's the really important part. I always think of that old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> and so like yes. your, your good intentions are not going to make somebody any safer physically, not going to give them more job opportunities. It's not going to present any additional financial opportunities to, to shift what their reality or frame of reference is at that moment. It's not going to give them any additional visibility that can amplify what they're doing. Like, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, and to that end, what does it look like to be an imperfect ally? Well, I'll step back and answer what I think you asked me before. I got (laughs) off track. Um, (laughs) The entire concept of imperfect allyship is you basically realizing that the things that you take for granted, the things that you have easy access to, the simplicity through which you can do things that isn't the same for someone else. These things that, again, you have easy, free, and clear access to, you are recognizing that there are people that don't have that same privilege. And you are saying, I don't want this to be this way for you. I want to actively change this. And so therefore I am going to use my platform and my privilege to shift these disparities and go on this path of trying to reach equality by starting with equity. And so Mm -hmm. when somebody is in this place of like, I want to change things. Okay. What is your platform? What do you do? What is your currency, so to speak? You know, and figuring out with that, how can you shift it so that you can have a network that has more people in it that are experts that just so happen to be diverse? And I say it that way because you don't want to lead with their societal indicators. You want to lead with them being an expert. You want to lead with them being an awesome human. You want to lead with the fact that you think that they're amazing and more people need to know about them. And they just so happen to be these other things. How is it that you can center the voices of those that don't have the same type of platform that you do? How can you shift the content that you take in personally and professionally so that you are able to work on reconsidering your normal? Because when your normal is based in your bubble, it makes it harder to not only understand what's happening outside of it, but you then can't support those outside of it because you don't know what they need because you haven't listened to them tell you. And you also have not recognized what it is that you can do differently so that what it is that you're seeking to provide 
to them or support them with, how can this actually be something that they want or need? Does it actually support them or does it just make your ego feel better to say that they brought this from you? Right. Because it needs to be from a place of not deciding what someone else needs, (laughs) but listening very carefully for what it is they say they need and then taking the action from that space. Right. I, I think of like most of the women or those that identify as women that I know don't want to be mansplained to. No. And so you don't want someone that does not happen to have a uterus making decisions for your uterus. And so therefore, in order to decide what a woman wants or needs, what her uterus needs, you need to ask her and her uterus (laughs) what needs to happen. Because if you don't have one and you pass the judgment and you write all the rules, you're going to miss pieces. Because you don't have that lived experience. You are not a living expert in being Mm -hmm. a woman or existing with a uterus. You have no idea. Right. And so therefore, it is important to allow those that you want to support to write their own narrative on what support actually looks like, how they want to receive it, and whether or not they want to receive it from you. Because I think that's important too. Mm, Yeah. Ooh, that's a good point. (laughs) Because there are plenty of situations where you see someone do something they haven't asked whoever the recipient is if they want it they haven't asked if they want it from them (laughs) they haven't even had any input and somehow it's helpful I'm using air quotes for those who are not Mm -hmm. watching yes oh yeah yeah and so imperfect allyship kind of juxtaposed up with that is different how I'm I'm listening I'm I'm participating I mean is that kind of the difference then I'm listening I am staying curious about what it is that you need and what's coming up. Because I think what happens sometimes is you get into this process of being an ally imperfectly and you have a moment of discomfort or you Mm -hmm. feel that constriction come up in your body. And instead of being curious as to what prompted that, where did that come from? Is there something that maybe I should pay attention to about that? You want to shut it down. You want to push it away. You want to just close it off because it is uncomfortable. And so being able to recognize and shed some light on those parts of ourselves. And personally, I think that it's worthwhile to give yourself some grace and to do it in a way that isn't harsh because tearing yourself down doesn't help the goal that you're trying to get to likely. And so, but I think when you take that time, and you pay attention to it, you likely are uncovering some unlearning that needs to to happen, some learning of better habits or tactics or tools that needs to happen. You're butting up against something that maybe was instilled in you by a family member as a child that you don't believe in, and yet somehow you've been living this out and you wanna do it differently, but you're feeling shame in that moment. You're feeling like, oh my gosh, what have I been, is this what I've been doing? And instead yeah. of paying attention to seeing how you can do it different, you're like, oh, no, no, I, I, no, I can't, I can't do this because you are feeling like I did this before and now I feel bad when the reality is, is we've all done things that we would have done differently. None of us are exempt from this. Yeah. None of us are above needing to see where we can be better. And so giving yourself permission to say, I didn't know better and now I do needs to happen and from there 
allowing yourself to move through that learning and unlearning process. You'll hear a lot of people talk about decolonization because that'll show up in pretty much everything. Not Mm -hmm. looking at things through a white supremacist lens. But it takes a lot of time and effort and patience with yourself in the process to be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I know in the last bit of time, I took a class called The Culture of Whiteness. And so much of that decolonization, unlearning, you don't realize how deep some of the learning goes. Yes. And it's it's everywhere. Like, you know, what we've been taught in history books and... Or not been taught in history books. <laughs> and even just how the mentality of, of freedom in this country wasn't necessarily freedom in the beginning for everyone. Uh, It's, and I think it's jarring to go into those spaces, but like you're saying to have grace for, oh crap, you know, as a white person, if that's not true, then what else isn't true? And yeah, it's, there's an unraveling that happens that you have to like kind of, you said, oh yeah. So you jump in right there. No, what you said, because you said the word that I was thinking, which was unraveling. Mm. And there's this fear of like, well, will I be unraveled if I get rid of that? What is left? What does that mean about me? What What am I? Who am I? How am I? And so there's this deeper questioning of what's left if I don't have these things. If this isn't my truth, then what does that mean? And in my opinion, we saw a lot of that when quarantine started last year because of the fact that you saw the people that were, you know, protesting about, oh, you're you're infringing upon my rights. And for me, there was this really deep resonance with the fact that as a general statement, white people are not used to being told what they can and cannot do. They're not used to being told, I can't do this. I have no options. I don't have to cover my face. I don't have to worry about how close I am to people. What do you Mm -hmm. mean I can't get my hair cut? What do you mean I have to follow these other rules like everybody else? I'm not everybody else. And so when you are now told that you have to do what everyone else does, it feels like a demotion. Yeah. And I think there's that piece that I'm thinking American exceptionalism comes into play. Yep. That there's the the good. I mean, there's there's a benefit of us all feeling like we are special and that we can do anything. But then there's the shadow side to that of just what you've said, I don't have to follow the rules because I'm special, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I think that's, it's it's painful on both fronts there of both the coronavirus front of it, but it also comes into play when we start to talk about the anti-racism work. Does anti-racism and American exceptionalism, can they coexist? I don't know. So here's the challenge that immediately comes up for me. Yeah. Uh, The concept of American exceptionalism, I think when you hear it, you think about exceptionalism as an American. But as we saw with the coup on the Capitol, is being an American exceptional because you're American or is it exceptional because you are a white person in America? Yes. And so if that is the fact, then no, it can't because... When, again, like I just talked about, those that complained that they didn't want to have to be quarantined and wear the masks, 
Mm -hmm. The concern was not if I wear this mask, you're now going to see less of my face and I'm still going to be even more of a threat for a person of color. And so that didn't come into the, that conversation for the, yeah. the, the white person that decided to complain about something that they felt like they should be exempt from. And so I think you can't have American exceptionalism and it not be something that feels as though it is speaking strictly to the experience of being white. Yeah. And most, most often white, male, heteronormative, cisgendered, everything is like you're, you're attractive, you have a, you know, an average body type, like all of these things that make you the quote unquote standard. Yeah. That is what it is. And if that's what it is, then that means that everybody else pretty much is not included, but that also doesn't address the hierarchy that then happens. Right. Well, and I even see, I'll um, kind of call myself out on it, even the wording of my own question. So my apologies. Um, no, 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 no apologies it. because it was an important <laughs> thing to dig into and I wouldn't have thought about it that way unless it yeah. was posed. And so I did not take any offense to it. And I felt like Good. you posed a question that was worthwhile to address. So thank you. No apologies yeah. needed. Well, and I think so the part, if somebody's not following where my brain went <laughs> just for listeners is what I see is, is that Americans can all be exceptional, but that has to be an inclusion, like an inclusive American title. I think mm -hmm. where the, so, but where we're seeing and, I'm going to jump here and see if I can get there. But that part of the issue that we're seeing with the Capitol riots is that the exceptionalism and the Americanism only was applying to the white male heteronormative folks who have decided that their way is hierarchically more important than other people's safety and rights and freedom and frankly joy and that that is the piece that pisses me off to no end yep. is that and I I've thought about this a lot recently is and I'm pointing my finger like <laughs> um, but is that this is in the Declaration of Independence like right. you know life liberty liberty and the pursuit of happiness is there and it means for everybody it doesn't mean just for those guys <laughs> like and I feel like yes. we're missing something here yes. that is really fundamental and, and I you were nodding so I would love to hear your input on that one too what you said is correct and I think what happens is is that you have someone that is so hell-bent on upholding something even if it means breaking the exact fundamentals that they say that they're fighting for and so the exact thing that you say that you are doing this entire disruption and rioting and desecration around, you're yeah. saying you're doing it for this, but you're in direct conflict with what you say that you're here to support. And it's like, it's like saying, I want to save you, but I'm gonna throw you in the burning building. Wait, um, I thought you were supposed to be helping me here. And so yeah. there's this place of like, I want this because I feel threatened. I'm not allowed to be threatened. I don't care who else then has to, re to receive whatever while I defend my right to be safe and to have free access to what I want. Yeah. And I am going to do something that without words will very blatantly lay out the fact that everything that is in that constitution has an asterisk next to it for everyone else. 
because we saw for everyone last year in the midst of having conversations around Black Lives Matters, and when I when and when I discussed it, I discussed it about the movement, not about the organization. But it's really about the fact of life, liberty, and you know the pursuit of the American dream types of ideals that we talk about. Black people specifically, can we just live? Can I just have that part? So I can't even talk about the rest before we can even get there. And so these things that are laid out that are supposed to be things that mandate what we all live by and the parameters with which we operate within, Mm -hmm. it's a lie. And I wish it wasn't. But it's a lie because of the fact that there's too many people that need to uphold it for their own delicate sensibilities to feel as though they're not being impeded on. It is. And it is it is just to keep a norm for a very narrow group of people, meaning small in population. Correct. To keep a hierarchy that isn't serving anyone else within that hierarchy. Yep. Exactly. How do we bring that down? (laughs) This sounds like the patriarchy, like, let's <laughs> break down the patriarchy thing again. I'm like, I'm like, where uh, is Jumpstart Your Joy gone? But no, but like, <laughs> I, like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess, so that's part of imperfect allyship that we're asking, like, I'm asking that question of, yeah, and, and seeing that what is here in front of us is, is not serving a majority of a population. No. And and I love, ooh, I love what you said, that it's actually illustrating that there's an asterisk next to so much of this stuff that we have been holding dear, hopefully as Americans, that we, you know, we want to uphold the Constitution and we want the democracy to be healthy, but that there is an asterisk, that it's it's these things unless, it's these things, yes, yeah, Ugh. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's well, well, let me get... It is, but I'm gonna give you this one part and this actually does play very deeply into what you do. And this is the fact that with everything that's been happening over the past year plus, because reality is what we're seeing is not new. It's been there. We're just now seeing some exacerbated circumstances due to some of these things that are happening. And let's be honest, a lot of these things now are so different over I'd say the past decade plus because camera phones has changed everything. Yeah. And so now you're seeing it. But I think that even with everything that we are being, you know, fully confronted with, to me, one of the big acts of rebellion in all of this is joy. Mm -hmm. Because it feels like it's at a premium sometimes to be able Mm -hmm. to tap into it, let alone having reserves of it. And there is this place of being a certain type of person and there being an expectation of you being downtrodden or not as confident or Mm -hmm. not as capable, not as happy, not as uplifted, almost like you need an extra slump in your shoulders, a little more I can't look you in your eye, a little more shuffle in your step, a little bit less I'm in a rush to get somewhere because I'm not going anywhere anyway. And all of these things, when you circumvent that by smiling, by tapping into laughter, by, you know, making jokes, by finding life 
and 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 something viable in the most vile of situations. That is an act of rebellion because with everything that like, let's take again what happened on the Capitol, seeing somebody make a meme that looked like Super Mario Brothers of somebody trying to scale this wall, which should have never happened, falling down and hearing the pew, pew, pew was the most hilarious thing I'd ever heard in my life at that moment because it made me laugh at something that you couldn't find laughter in. And yet at the same time, it's like you had no business scaling that wall. Oops, you fell. Like you have to find what you can find in moments like this. And so being able to reconnect with whatever joy is at that moment for you, especially if you can share it, Mm-hmm. that's an act of rebellion. Yeah, it truly is. And I also think there's something about when we say yes to joy, it also is meaning we're looking for connection. I mean, you can have joy for yourself, but it's something that it's, it's hard different. to contain. So yes. I think there's also something, I mean, even just if we think about the action of the person making that video, like, they wanted to connect. They wanted to share, like, isn't this absurd? I see something here. I think other people might, or I'd like to show it to them if they don't see it as mm-hmm. kind of calling um, the bluff on, like, what is going on here? What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you climbing right. that wall? Like, right. what, what in the world? And so I think there is a sense that joy brings in a community of people um, mm-hmm. because it's really hard to contain joy, It's which is good. <laughs> Right. And that's the thing. I mean, in these moments when it's easier to crawl in a ball Mm -hmm. and to just not for everything, not pay attention, not connect, not interact, Mm -hmm. not heal, because right now I just can't. Mm -hmm. When it's easier to do that and yet you can find that small moment of that little snicker that little curve up of the side of your, you know, your mouth, that little moment of shaking your head like, oh, this is a mess, but that was hilarious. I'm not supposed to laugh at this, but this was hilarious. Those types of things, those little, sometimes what feels like stolen moments, they are valid and they are necessary. And those are the only things that keep people like us that are hoping and working towards something different. That's the only thing that keeps us going. Yeah. The only thing. Yeah. I think uh, that is a beautiful observation. Yeah. Because if we just get stuck in the spin and really everything that the media wants us to believe, yes. it's very easy to like just become, <laughs> there's, you know, you can't tell the difference between night and day and you can't, especially mm-hmm. when you're in shelter in place. And yep. yeah, you can just choose, choose to see all of the hard or you can choose to bring in some joy for sure. Absolutely. So I I love your show, Pause on the Play, and there you talk about cultural bias, visibility, mindset, and you have an amazing co-host, India. Mm -hmm. And I love your conversations because they show, you guys really kind of shed or shine a light on the bias that happens in so many different places. I mean, I I really, I don't know why, but the one, the conversation you had about uh, autism and non-visible disabilities, like... That there's so much in this world that we tend to have bias on. And yeah, I think just, I don't know, could you talk a little bit about how your show came about and and kind of the breadth of topics that you talk about? Because I have found it to be really enlightening. Thank you. The beauty is it it 
honestly started as two girlfriends having conversation. That was literally how it started. We were talking and it was like, wait, we should record this. And we did. And it started as just an, an audio blog post. And then someone was like, you know, you got a podcast, right? And we were like, no, not because we didn't want a podcast, but it was like the work that would be involved. And it was like, oh man, okay, yes we do. And we started to just continue having these moments where we would be in conversation and it was like, no, wait, pause. And we would start recording it. And we were trying to figure out a name in the beginning and a really good friend of mine, her daughter, whom I love immensely and I miss her so much. She was like, you know what you're doing, right? Like you're saying pause on the play when these things happen. We were like, oh, there's the name, there it is. And so it, it, it became something that we had no idea of what was coming. And this opportunity to be two friends that work together, but are legitimately friends Mm -hmm. that are two black women having these open and honest conversations about where we are with some things and what we're experiencing, as well as how we're supporting clients and what it looks like to go into implicit bias, imposter syndrome, imperfect allyship, where marketing and visibility meets and how sometimes these things can go wrong. Uh, We've talked about hustle culture. We dig into so much, so, so much. And the, the real beauty of it is the entire point is to try to take these things that feel like really large concepts that you don't know how to talk about, you don't know how to break it down, and to turn them into conversations that you can actually feel like you're participating in, that you could possibly see yourself taking back and having with someone, that it is something that feels like, oh, well, I didn't think about it that way. And because you're not in that conversation with anyone, you don't have that opportunity for those aha moments. So being able to present that and give people some additional ways of considering things, some additional concepts to consider and being able to hear the perspective of two black women that they can take along with the learning that they're doing, that in itself is a huge piece of value because we talk about the fact that it's not okay to go and want someone to do your emotional labor or to pick their brain, especially if you do something wrong. But like we had one that was about India's experience at a festival that they they have in multiple places, but she'd gone to it in New York and it's called Afropunk. And being able to hear the experience of this black woman at this experience that was created with black people in mind and seeing what that experience was and all these nuances and, and layered pieces of it, you're not going to be able to just walk up to somebody and be like, so how was that? And so being able to provide that feels really supportive and very necessary because so often going back to that concept of reconsidering your normal so Mm -hmm. often we don't do that and so when we have that conversation and when we're able to support our clients with that when we're able to do that in workshops when we do that inside of pause on the play the community this is us being able to share what we have but reminding you that we are not the authorities. We don't know everything and we're here to be in conversation and you can be supported by the conversation that we're all having together. Because I envision those listening, thinking that this is about a community conversation. So Mm -hmm. hear what you need, share what you need to share with someone else, but continue the conversation and keep the dialogue going. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, 
I appreciate that it is such a breadth of topics because it starts to what provide an opportunity for those of us listening to unpack. And it, it's a really lovely invitation to look at things in a different way in a space where, you know, you can have the grace with yourself to kind of call in the things you need to call in and observe what you need to observe. So I, I definitely appreciate it. Thank you for providing it for everyone to hear and participate in. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So one of the things that I'm asking guests this season is about finding joy in what I'm calling the messy middle, which is this midst of things that we've got going on with the pandemic, mm-hmm. racial tensions, political upheaval, all of this. And I'm wondering if you could share, how have you found joy in a situation? It could be right now or it could be the past. How, where have you found joy in the messy middle? Connection. Hmm. Connection. I'm very fortunate to again India is absolutely one of the cornerstones of my support system and I don't know what I would do without her and so knowing that we can talk about work we can crack jokes we can completely not talk about work and we can be who we are we can have those moments where you know we we just need that break and knowing that all of those things are okay is extremely helpful and knowing that I have friends I have friends that I have had since I was like 15, 20 years old, and I'm 42, so that's a good amount of time. And so being able to know that I've had people that have known me through so many iterations of of who I am, and yet they are still here and they see me and they're supportive, it's, it's an amazing thing. And it does help to be able to, it fuels Erica, the individual, so that when I have to step into being mommy, I feel like I am not giving so much and then I have nothing for me because I do mm-hmm. think that even as a parent, you can't give everything away because then you have nothing. And so yeah. I'm able to be whole for me. I'm able to be whole for them. I can support them and in, in watching them laugh and my children are absolutely hilarious. So <laughs> there is that. And so it, it's, it's, it's watching those little moments where they just say ridiculous things or seeing the way that, you know, my kids interact with each other, knowing that I can talk with, you know, these friends that I have that want to see me thrive, meeting people that are listening to my podcast or that want to work with me and them genuinely just being like, hey, I thought about you today. So I dropped you some tea in the mail because I just want someone to do something nice. And I'm like, oh, those things aren't lost. And it, it kind of gives you a bit of hope for humanity. Yeah that all of these civilities have not died. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and thank you. And I and I think there's something in there too about the connection piece. I mean, we said for a, a, a bit ago, something about like somehow the world right now kind of <laughs> wants us to be Mr. Bean in a box. Mm-hmm. This, this imagery won't leave me <laughs> ever probably. You're so welcome. thank you. But like, I think... <laughs> There's something about that. Like, it's also an act of rebellion to say, no, I am not, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm, I am going to reconnect with or or connect with India right now because I need to. And I I am going to delight in my children laughing their butts off because that's hilarious. So I Mm -hmm. I love that you're like, you're, you're flexing that muscle as well of, yeah, no, this isn't, this isn't what you all media say this is. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And even even if it is, I'm still going to make it mine. Before I get to the, the last question, I guess, 
if somebody wants to work with you, how do they find you and and what have you got coming up? Absolutely. So there is my website, which is ericacorday.com. That is going to give you some information about working with me one-on-one. The workshops that I do, um, I do a lot of those for teams and communities and groups. That, those are great, especially if you're trying to just find a way to, to connect and talk through some of these things or you're just looking for your starting place with this. There, you're also going to find my Imperfect Allyship Checklist, which is a free opt-in, which is a great place to start if you're like, oh, I'm so nervous and I'm not ready yet. That will give you a place to kind of feel like you are beginning to understand some of the things that you need. The other, of course, is my podcast, which is Pause on a Play that you so lovingly listen to and mention. I appreciate you for it. That has its own website as well. That is pauseontheplay.com. We have our marketing and mindsets opt-in over there, which is great for trying to kind of figure out what do you need to know about your business and its values? It's a great starting place. Mm-hmm. And so over there, again, you'll learn about the two-to-one work that Indy and I do together and pause on the play, the community, which is a place where imperfect allies connect, support each other in doing the do. So good. And I, of course, will link up to all of those in the episode notes. Oh, I, I don't want this to be over, I know. But, but we're getting to the last question, which is what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Laugh, smile, listen. Hmm. Yes. So good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Erica. This has been an absolute treat and a total joy to get to spend time with you today. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Paul. And it's so good to see your face. So good to see yours. Erica, thank you so much for coming on the show and for holding this space for people and for introducing this idea of imperfect allyship. Of course, it is so important to have this discussion. And I really, really deeply appreciate that you are making this space for it. And thank you for sharing all of this with with the audience here at Jumpstart Your Joy. If you want to find out more about Erica and how you can connect or how you can join one of her programs or listen to her podcast, which is so wonderful, you can find everything you need to know over at the website, which is at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 283. And that'll have all those links. And of course, you can sign up for my newsletter there. And of course, you can buy my book when you're over on the website. And in addition to the information about Erica and her amazing work, I will put in a couple of other resources that I have found to be so helpful as I have worked on anti-racism in my own life. And so I will link those up for you there. Next week on the show, I have such a treat. Yes, it is next week. We're going back to weekly for a little bit here. I am so delighted to announce that I have Lauren Artress coming on to join me. She is a canon at San Francisco's Grace Cathedral. She is the leader of the modern labyrinth movement. And I had the absolute joy of getting to take her program in this last December. May 1st is Worldwide Labyrinth Day. And so we're really syncing up around that day to celebrate and talk about labyrinths, what they are, how, how you can use them as a meditation tool. And it'll be a real treat to get to have her on and you guys I know will just love her so I hope you'll come on back for that conversation and until then I hope that your days are filled with so much joy 